stirred, everyone. I'm Camera Full of Oh, that's right. Uh, I, I am Darren Carp. I hear what John Thrasher as he fixes mm. his hair. Oh. He mussies his top. Now, for those of you who can't see us right now, I'm just saying it's an unfortunate incident because John, just right up top, you promised me this week. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That you were going to have some sort of wig or some sort of hat. I see you with mm -hmm. neither. So I will let well, you take that's... the floor and explain yourself right now. Go ahead. Well, I do have one. By the way, before the show even started, <laughs> Darren was like, I see you didn't bring your hat to the recording today. I'm like, what am I? <laughs> is this like homework? Like I'm getting in trouble with the teacher? Yes. Um, yes. I do have a hat. I just didn't want to put it on right away and um, oh. spoil the fun. Although it's not that fun. I do have a hat. I'm going to put it on. And I think maybe once I put it on, you'll maybe start to get the gist of the story. First of all, let me show everyone listening, or I mean watching yeah. on Patreon, the style of the hat. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it's gray. It's nice. Look at the top. Oh, it, it's like a skeleton like a dancing. A skeleton. Okay. He's dabbing. Doing a, doing a dab. He's doing yeah. a dab. <laughs> Go ahead, Darren. Okay. Do that again really quickly for the camera, the dab. I think okay. that's how we that's do it, That's right? something like that. So yeah. I was recently, I want to say about, well, actually it was about a year ago. I was at a 7-Eleven and I saw this hat and I was like, love this hat. I'm going to throw, I'm you know, I was grabbing like a Gatorade or something, probably going to Pickleball. Grab a Gatorade, yes. grab this Pickleball. I'm like, who buys a hat at a gas station? What is, I'm such a silly guy. Well, Darren, let me show you what it looks like when I put it on. It's a child's hat. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. So it. Because at first, let me just say, for anyone that's watching, at first it just, it's a normal hat where I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm bringing like furry bucket hats. So if you're just going to come in with a normal hat, like I, I behoove you to step up your game. But now knowing that it only fits, I would say on 32% of your head, you have brought it <laughs> yes. and you are now like a hip hop Count Chocula. What? <laughs> I was you're going to have to keep so... that on. I, I know. Nope. I was like, do I keep it on? But I don't want it to mess my hair. Can I see it? Can I see it backwards? Maybe that'll help. Well, backwards will like, I can't even, here's the thing. I can't even put the, what is this? You know, I, have you ever mm -hmm. seen the League of Their Own? Of course. Yes. I know. Okay. Exactly you know when the guy's like, you look like a penis with a little hat on. <laughs> there you go. Wow. That's what it is. That's what it is cause it's a little tiny hat. I can't wear this. I can't wear this because it doesn't even fit a, by the way, I also have a gigantic head, so that's part of the problem here. I have a big head, too. Yeah. My whole family has, we have big heads. Well, we're smart. We're out here running right. the world. What more do you want from that's us? That's one That's one way to look at it, and thank you for <laughs> taking the positivity uh, so, into that. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. So that was the hat situation. I don't know where my Pikachu hat is. It's actually really annoying me. I have a white, or a white, a yellow Pikachu hat that has, like, dangly little things. Um <laughs> Darren's face because um, uh -huh. uh -huh. Pikachu or what are it would be like the strings that you would tie the hat with but they like dangle okay. what like a you're, drawstring you're so ridiculous like all yes I guess I didn't say anything I know you you're the right one who like Your said face. it and then laughed because you knew that what you were saying was absurd and no, I was it's just, just I didn't I literally said nothing and I'm already in trouble so here's like, the thing I'm just gonna tell this you story can't really win quickly, on this podcast Darren and I'm always just like she and I are both like one step ahead of each other at any given moment in terms of like our chemistry, I guess you could say. And before we started the show, I just said, hey, before you count us in, could you just go a little bit slower? Because not a big deal. It's just like sometimes, you know, you're getting to it really quickly. And then when I sync up our audio and editing, it's a little I have to like really focus on it. 
And Diva. of course, I knew exactly what she was going to do. <laughs> I, I, she, Because of course, she was like, yeah. So I go, three, two. <laughs> and I was like, I knew you were going to do that. And that's the testament to us being best friends at this point. But sport. you still laughed. And that's honestly why I do anything. Yeah. So that's the only thing I'm here for. Well, like, I appreciate it that. might be annoying slightly because you know that I'm going to do it. But as long as oh, you're it's laughing, not annoying. Yeah. That's the only thing I care about is just you being like, I knew you were gonna, like just teasing each other like brother and sister, which is always we really fun, are like so. that, mom and dad, but brother and sister, um, whatever you want it to be. If you listen to her NMR this week, you know that John's voice was a little a little shaky, <sighs> and so yeah. I just want to make sure that and we're disturbed. valuing your time and your voice. So it was a little shaky mm-hmm. and disturby. So let's get right into this week's case, just so we can um, pop off, if you will. Let's pop off. Well, on the afternoon of March tenth. 1994 in Lake Elsinore, California, 57-year-old Dorinda Hawkins clocked in for her part-time job at a small antique shop. Dorinda, uh, not to be confused, by the way, of Dorinda from Real Housewives, who I once co-hosted a break-off at Bravo headquarters with, and then saw her a month later, and she had no idea who I was. Oh, I... That tracks, baby. Yeah, that's that totally a Dorinda thing. Anyway, Dorinda, not from Real Housewives of New York, Went about, she's from New York, right? By the way, just to be clear. She is. I was going to okay. say that, but I was like, oh, maybe it's like too insidery. And I was yeah. very impressed that you knew, but I forgot yeah. that you did that bake off. So that would make sense. Yeah, we're best friends until she didn't know who I was. Um, Dorinda went about her day as usual, helping customers as they entered until a blonde woman who appeared to be in her 30s came in. Dorinda didn't notice anything peculiar about the woman as she perused the shop. She approached Dorinda and asked her to show her to the picture frames, which were kept toward the back of the store. I just bought a couple of picture frames this week. So that's my connection to the case. Um, As she led the woman towards the back of of the shop, suddenly she felt something wrap tightly around her neck. She whipped around to see that the woman was attempting to strangle her with a piece of rope. I mean, listen, all she's trying to get is like an antique lamp or something or picture frame. Like this is a lot. All that's, of a what, that's what Dorinda thinks. That's what she thinks, not. yeah. Um, Dorinda did her best to fight the woman off, but she was overpowered. As she faded out of consciousness, Dorinda heard the woman hushing and soothing her, telling her to relax as she tightened the grip on her throat. Oh, I hate that. Creepy. That is really creepy. I one of the things also something about this being a woman that's like extra keep creepy to me because yeah. I just like you don't think about it being yeah, women yeah, technically, yeah. and whenever it's a woman, I'm always just like there's an extra eeriness to me. There is, I know. And, you know, we've done so many of these episodes about, um, obviously, murder and death. And, like, one of the things about murder and death that always sticks with me that I'm still to this day a little freaked out by, because, frankly, not a lot of stuff freaks us out, guys, by this point. Darren and I have done so many of these episodes, is the last moments or the last breaths and like how little decisions could have changed those last moments. Like it just really freaks me out. So this particular de- description here is like really unsettling to me. But yeah. anyway, um, nonetheless, she um, Dorinda was struck with a terrifying re- realization while this was happening. Not only was this woman trying to murder her, but she knew exactly what she was doing. Again, that's the last moments thing just really freaks me out. Despite her best efforts, Dorinda passed out and was left for dead by her attacker until she regained consciousness over an hour later. So thank God, by the way, she regained her consciousness there. Um, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, 
I don't know how you wouldn't be able to be passed out, but it's interesting to me because if I was being strangled, presumably to death, let's just say, if someone was strangling me, I would assume it'd be to death, and yeah. then passed out. Like, I wouldn't expect to wake up from something like that. Yeah, so me it's a little either. shocking that she survived. Oh, my God, absolutely. Well, terrified, Dorinda immediately reported the attack to authorities. When Dorinda clocked in that day, she was expecting a usual evening at the antique shop, but little did she know she would come face-to-face with a deadly serial killer who had already claimed the lives of three other women and narrowly escaped, by the way, with her own life. Her attacker that day was none other than Dana Sue Gray. By the way, um, just pausing in this case, because I know we recorded earlier than Sunday, but Murdaugh was just found guilty of murdering his That's Oh, son. boy. Darren's been really into this case after watching that Netflix documentary. It's just, it's so good. While uh, we're recording, to- we just got that, right? We just got that. So yeah. that's, it's going to be days old since you guys have listened to it, but I just have to say <laughs> something. But let's get back to Dana Sue Gray. So sure. Dana was born Dana Sue Armbrust on December 6th, 1957 in Southern California. Her father, Russell Armbrust, that's just a tough last <laughs> I was name. just going to say, people, here's a good thing. Here's a good reason to buy or to subscribe to Sussy Radishes because when you can watch Darren said armbrust and I started giggling, but like you guys listening might not see me kind of hold my giggle in, but I was definitely holding it in. Just you the way you said it. Armbrust. Armbrust. Yeah. armbrust. Uh, so her father, Russell, was a hairdresser yes. who had remarried for a third time to a retired beauty queen, Beverly Arnett. And the couple mm. struggled to have children, suffering three miscarriages before finally giving birth to Dana. I'm sure a godsend in that way. You know, miscarriages mm-hmm. are so difficult. Definitely. Beverly was known as a rather aggressive and even violent woman when her patience was spent. Now, listen, I have a very short fuse when it comes to patience. That's right. I can be aggressive with myself, but I tend to get mad at objects, not at people. And I'm certainly not violent. I'll say that. Well, so this is speak not for yourself. I'm going to write a book after this uh, after yeah, this exactly. podcast is over. All right, keep going. We're going to do the baloney slap next time. Um, <laughs> the baloney, the baloney hit. So she would mm-hmm. max out her husband's credit cards behind his back and often get in physical altercations with other women. Russell finally divorces her after he witnessed her violently attack and wrestle another older woman to the ground. She needs oh, help. Boy. I mean, someone who's going to yeah. react like this. A lot of mental health here. Uh, at mm-hmm. the age of two, Dana lived with her newly single mother as her father became more and more distant, which I also kind of wonder what's going on here, because if you know that the mother of the child happens to be short-fused, short-tempered, mm-hmm. have a violent streak, I don't think you should be leaving your child and then getting more and more distant, but who knows kind of <laughs> the circumstances of all of this. Now, right. as she grew up, she began acting out and seeking attention in negative ways. She'd often steal money from her mother's purse to buy herself candy, resorting to violence when she didn't get her way. This is just generational trauma and acting out here, kind of psych 101. Dana did not take discipline well from either her mother or her teachers, which resulted in her numerous suspensions from school. And in 1971, Beverly received a harrowing diagnosis, which would ultimately take her life. She had Mm. breast cancer. And certainly, you know, this big C word at any given time can be super scary, but in 1971, right. I mean, it almost feels like a death sentence for a lot of people, depending on how long yeah. you've kind of been around for. Now, after her mother's death, Dana was sent to live with her father and his new wife, but this arrangement did not last long. When he discovered drugs in her room, Dana's father kicked her out of the house, and the young woman was forced to fend for herself. Just, just, just a lot of not helping people I mean, and kicking the can down the road type of stuff. 
And I mean, one of the things that keeps coming to mind as you're telling us these details in particular is that like so many serial killers come from these types of households and these types of backgrounds of like, you know, trauma in your developmental years. I mean, that's just truly what it is. Let's call a spade a spade here. And of course, it's not every serial killer and not every household like this means that you're going to be a serial killer, of course. But maybe it's like the right brain chemistry with the right social setting just is the perfect storm of the types of behaviors that we see from people. You know, we talked recently in a recent episode about recently in a recent episode, of course, right. That's what that is. A recent episode, um, about like nature versus nurture and like who, you know, are there exceptions to the way people react or behave? And I don't know, just at this point, there's just a lot of really unfortunate tragedy in this life, whether it's, you know, the C word, as you said, or, you know, just kind of circumstances of the people you're around. It's set and setting. I mean, to your point, I think it's a deadly combination of all these things. And so mm-hmm. mental health, I think really uh, people need to be more aware of like a little red flags, but also the mental health industry needs to be put a lot more money into it as opposed uh, to other things. I was but, just thinking that this morning, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it makes sense for lack of a better term, well, but it's obviously hard to like earmark funds for that because people just, right. it's hard. it's hard for people to like sick like chalk it up to mental illness i think right, people don't exactly. want to admit like how fragile we really are as people well and can i, I just think add it to that feel as justice sorry it doesn't feel as like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like oh if i blame it on a mental illness as opposed to like this person's just a really shitty person it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as satisfying or gratifying 100 percent, and not even just mental illness but like you know i just keep thinking about what we've gone through with the pandemic across this whole world right and it's like We've that this was borderline traumatizing. Like I look back at 2020 in particular, like I I would see like my time hop would like show some posts and some photos. And it was like, you know, it was about this time three years ago when we first started really getting serious about this. And I just look back at it now. Like I felt fine in those moments. And I look back at that now and I kept I just keep thinking like that was not normal. And then I start, you know, and I start thinking like I was able to handle that and like you know, I had family members die of complications, but overall, my family and friends, thank God, were ma- mainly spared. And my heart goes out to everybody at home listening that has been affected that way. But my point is, we as a human species have gone through something that no other generation has gone through it quite the same way. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm not looking at the president, and I'm not talking politics necessarily, but like, there needs to be a very serious there needs to be very serious attention focused on mental health not necessarily illnesses you don't have to have mental illness to have, to be taking care of your mental health and i just worry about the generation whether it's our generation darren or like the kids behind us or even the even the adults above us and how this is going to manifest itself out across our lives you know and i and it's connected to this and what we were talking about in terms of mental health. I don't want to derail us too much here, but I just feel like we hear about, you know, programs for veterans and FEMA, how they swoop in and like all these different things that worry about the stuff we can maybe mental or uh, physically see, you know, and, and react to. But it's like there's a whole like pandemic happening behind our eyes that nobody really talks about. And I just feel like it's so important. I wish there was more attention, like serious, very serious attention given to that. 
and, and one last thing, I think people are starting finally notice how the pandemic really affected, you know, with the school closures and everything, how it exactly. affected a lot of people's learning ability yes. and a lot of people at home. And maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. And so but we're never going to get an apology for it. You know, people never kind of live and learn. They just make, you know, considerable amount of excuses for stuff like that. And we don't take the lessons we need to from that. So you're right. There's a lot of background information yeah, here, but with, with Dana, yes, uh, sorry to there's us, that generational but... <laughs> trauma. There's that generational trauma. And around this yeah, time, yeah. Dina started taking skydiving lessons and fell into a whirlwind romance with her instructor, Rob. Oh boy. After graduating high school in 1976, Dana moved in with Rob who supported her as she attended nursing school. This had been a dream of Dana since she was a teenager and watched nurses take care of her mother. So this seems mm. to be a really great thing. Dina graduated from nursing school in 1981, and by this time, her relationship with Rob had dwindled, and she left him for a well-known windsurfer named Chris <laughs> Dodson. So she likes the yeah. athletes here. She likes the sure. adventure types. And Chris We've and got Dana skydivers have... and uh, what was the other one? Windsurfers. So, like, interesting sports. Yeah, she likes the adventurers. Chris and Dana would have an on-again, off-again relationship for several years, going on extravagant vacations to places like Hawaii, to windsurf and golf. So this seems like kind of a big life, maybe something that she wasn't used to, something completely different. You know, maybe this is what she needs. You know, no one's knocking on my door as a pickleballer, you know, but it's fine. We'll just keep it going. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's a different type of life. Different type of life that I... (laughs) Yes, exactly. Speaking of a different type of life, you guys listening could be living a lot more of a focused and energetic and frankly, an exciting life, in my humble opinion. So... You've probably heard us talk about microdosing on the show. If not, just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. So you're probably thinking, microdosing, what is it? You know that just right feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like maybe after a workout, after pickleball, after a nice brisk walk down Fifth Avenue if you live in New York City, Darren, um, or a nice long shower, um, Basically, where you're relaxed, focused, and a little bit energized at the same time, microdosing helps you get into that zone easier and stay there longer, which is exactly where I want to be, quite frankly, at any given point. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. We bought these for family and friends over the holidays, and they all really love them. Shout out to my buddy Wyatt. I know he I got these for him for Christmas, and he was loving them. He really, really likes them. Um, microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code SHAKEN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code SHAKEN. Anyway, in October of 1987, Dana married a man named Bill L. Gray, whom she had known since high school. The two had a lot in common. They both enjoyed things like travel and sports. It was around this time that Dana was hired at Inland Valley Regional Medical Center, where she worked as a labor and delivery nurse for roughly six years. While the start of their marriage appeared happy enough, it quickly soured as Dana began racking up a tremendous amount of debt. Remember, this was happening in another situation like we just talked about earlier in the episode. Bill had invested in several business ventures under the name Gray Matter, and to his dismay, his wife was siphoning away his earnings behind his back. 
Now, mm. Dana had a shopping addiction, which, by the way, is a real thing. I've I've come to learn. After, I know somebody who has this. It's real. And would use frivolous spending as a way to cope with stress. This is exactly what the person I know that was going through this yeah. was doing as well. Because I feel like we hear shopping addiction and we're like, oh, my God, I love to go shopping. Like, it's way more than that. No, it is no, a mental illness. No, people use it as a coping. Yeah, people yeah. use it as a coping mechanism. Let me correct myself. It might not be a mental illness. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, but, no, but it is like a, a mental component. No, but there's a compulsion to it. Yes. It can be, yes. Yeah. Well, Bill's sister, Ginny Ward, described Dana's hunger for money as, quote, nuts, not even normal, greedy, crazy, uh, end quote. So there you go. There's, there's somebody that was at least somewhat close to Dana describing it. Yeah. Following the death of Bill's mother, he received an inheritance check for $7,500, which Dana completely blew in less than two months. Listen, Damn. back then... Probably harder to spend that much money quickly, but seventy five hundred bucks. In the eighties, yeah. Know. I mean, I mean, this is in the eighties. That's kind of a decent amount yeah. of money, but like, yeah. you know, for someone who didn't grow up with a lot, depends on what they're doing. It just well, seems that's true. Like, you know, yeah. that's kind of a lot. Yeah. Before her husband could even process the death of his mother, Dana spent the entirety of his in- inheritance on a lavish trip to Europe, which Bill did not attend. By the way. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, that's cutthroat. Yeah, Dana's spending put immense stress not on not only her relationship but her husband's finances, resulting in him having to file for bankruptcy in 1993, which is a pretty big deal mm. when, you know, he's got his own business ventures going and she's spending so much money that he can't even keep up with that. The couple split and started formal divorce proceedings. After leaving her husband, Dana moved in with her new lover and longtime friend, Jim Wilkins. This, this woman's yeah. got a lot of things going on in her life. Let's just put it that way. Shortly yeah, a after, lot of relationships, a lot of marriages, yeah. like Jan, like, like her father. Yeah, exactly. Shortly after the end of her marriage, Dana would suffer another loss in 1993 when she was fired from her job when nearly two dozen doses of opiate painkillers mysteriously disappeared under her watch. Um, without a husband or a job for that matter, Dana was down and out financially. And by February of 1994, she had found herself living back home with her father and her stepmother. So not an ideal place to be overall, given the circumstances, but you know, you can rebuild from there, but it doesn't sound like she's on the right path. Well, Dana's father, Russell, remember him from earlier in the episode, married Jerry Davis in 1988 after her, her after her first husband, Bill, had passed away. Now, after the death of her first husband, Jerry remained very close with Bill's family and went out of her way to check in and help take care of his mother, Norma, who lived nearby. This happens in marriages. You know, even if, even if they pass away or they mm-hmm. divorce, they're still kind of family, so people still right. have relationships. On February 16th, 1994, a neighbor named Alice Williams realized that she hadn't seen Norma in a couple days. While the older woman lived alone, she was known to be very friendly and personable with the neighbors. And given Norma's age and physical state, Alice seemed concerned and decided to go check on her. After knocking several times to no answer, Alice found that the door was unlocked, a detail she did note as odd, as Norma would always keep her door locked unless she was expecting company. And can I add something else? Yeah, and something else about this is, like, older people are so set in their ways. They have their routine. They make sure the door is locked. They make sure they come outside to say hello. Like, It makes it easy to remember stuff, you know? Yeah, it does, exactly. And it gives them uh, maybe some motivation and purpose throughout their day if they don't have a lot going on. And I just have a lot of, like, really 
nice memories about my like my grandmother and like friends of my grandmother and like those routines are things like I never really have gotten into but like I really appreciate them maybe the older that I get because I get the reasoning behind it a little more but I it feeling it's feeling like this situation is not going to end as as nicely as the memories that I have I am a woman of routine. I mean, like, yeah. I literally do, like, the same thing in the mornings and nights. Like, that's how I kind of keep mm. my life together. So, like, I this right. is going to be me, certainly, <laughs> yes. when I'm older. Lock the doors, uh, folks. But in, exactly. But inside, the neighbor stumbled upon a gruesome scene, as you mm. might expect. Norma was lying dead in her lazy blue Ugh. recliner with blood splattered on the armrest and two utility knives protruding from her body. Oh, One had been stabbed in her chest, the other in her neck. And inside the home, police discovered uh, inside the home. Police discovered that there were no signs of forced entry nor any kind of struggle, which obviously implies that they she knew Norman knew who this person was. Mm-hmm. The phone line had been ripped out of unless the door was open for some reason, and person walked in and s- surprised right. her. Uh, right. The phone line had been ripped out of the wall, and the only trace to be found was a single footprint from a Nike sneaker on the kitchen floor. Now Norma had no defensive wounds or marks on her body of any kind, aside from a single broken fingernail. So that also kind of shows that she probably trusted this person, that there was no immediate struggle. Mm -hmm. And as investigators struggled to find any rhyme or reason for the killing, they began looking into the people closest to normal. As it happens, it's usually people that are close to you. Right, of course. Especially with this situation where it doesn't look like there was any struggle, you know. Especially with an older person, it seems, you know, uh, in this way. But for a short time, her own daughter, Jerry, was under suspicion as she was you know, going to receive money from Norma's will, so perhaps she needed mm. that money quicker in some sort of way. However, aside from financial motivation, nothing else could be held against Jerry, so she was dropped as a suspect. And when we say utility knife, are we talking like an exacto knife? Like, what's a utility knife? Oh, is it like um, a Swiss Army knife? I am going to Google know. that. I'm going to yeah. Google that. because Do I that, yeah, because I know... I know Megan, our researcher, like, sent that to us, but I don't know what yeah, a utility Yeah, it's like knife a Swiss Army knife. Okay, or, okay. Yeah, like it could be kind of a, like a box like a cutter. Tool. You know how you kind, yeah. kind of, yeah, like a tool. That's what I meant. Usually, usually it's like a, it's like one of those knives that you kind of like uh, hit that thing up and then the yes, blade Yes, that's comes what I up. meant, like an exacto knife or something. So Got it's it. not deep. You know, but like if you have yeah. one in your neck and one in your chest. Yeah, like I was just going to say. Yeah. And yeah. also, I think that does say, like, you know, most killers aren't using exacto utility knives to murder people. So I think there's something it feels to be like thought something about. that was like nearby. Yes, or maybe, exactly. Yeah, afterthought. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, Norma's real killer was enjoying a spending spree with Norma's credit card. Unfortunately, Norma would not be the only casualty before Dana was brought to justice. Before the month was up, Dana would brutally murder another elderly woman just to steal her money to feed her shopping addiction. On February 28, 1994, Dana drove into a gated community in Canyon Lake where she used to live with her ex-husband, Bill. There, she saw one of her old neighbors, June Roberts, outside raking leaves and decided to pay her a visit. When questioned later, Dana would give multiple reasons as to why she decided to visit that day. At first, she told authorities that she drove to the community to visit her father, who still lived there, but was distracted when she saw June. In another telling, she said she went there specifically to see June because she wanted to borrow a book. While the exact reasoning is unknown, one thing is for sure. Dana killed June Roberts that afternoon. 
After being welcomed inside the home, Dana unplugged the telephone and used its cord to strangle June. So now we're seeing multiple crime scenes, multiple murders, all somewhat similar with the phone line being pulled out. Should we clarify, Darren, for any non-millennials who are listening that there used to be a time where like phones plugged into the wall and that was the only way that you could make phone calls? I I, I actually still love them. Like I love like rotary phones and like the old like avocado and orange. Like there's something (laughs) like so nice about grabbing it, you know, but I do remember getting my first cordless phone. And it was like see-through and blue. My parents I, had bought yeah. it for me, but it was see-through. And it was so cool. Like, it Rem- was so cool. Remember the excitement of, like, you were going to go home. Like, this was me, at least. On a Friday night, you were going to call your best friend. And you were going to take your cordless phone that you just got that just and came just out. walk around. And walk around yeah. that. Go up to your room and lay in bed and talk about boys and girls, if that's your thing. Yeah, no, that was me. I didn't talk about girls yet, but. Yeah, I was sadly, but yeah, you get it. Yeah, well, well, look at us now. Anyway, um, so obviously, really horrible scene that we're seeing here. Once the 66 year old woman was dead, Dana began searching through the house. She stole two credit cards and was out using them before June's body was even discovered. During the shopping, as an addiction, definitely. I mean, literal addiction. Because, like, imagine instead of um shopping or whatever it's like drugs you know like you could literally like replace this with that exact type of thing and you've seen and heard of stories like that well during this shopping spree she purchased an expensive suede coat a new pair of boots took herself out for a seafood dinner love a good seafood dinner and stopped at the Mm -hmm. liquor store before heading home dana had now successfully murdered two women and seemingly faced no punishment About 10 days after June's death, Dana attacked Dorinda Hawkins in her store. And unlike the two previous victims, Dorinda Dorinda survived the ordeal, which allowed her to give the authorities a detailed description of Dana. Well, thank God, I mean, that she survived. You know, by now, police were beginning to zero in on her after tracing the credit card histories of the two deceased women and checking in with nearby shops for potential witnesses. In fact, once police caught wind of the fact that the killer was stealing and using their victim's credit cards, police were able to track the post-killing shopping sprees, which allowed them to begin zeroing in on their perp. And this is kind of a, you know, obviously I think she cares more about her addiction. She wasn't really thinking because a lot of perps, they know to use cash. You know, they don't give an ID. They don't give a card. They don't want to be traced. So especially if you're going to steal stuff, cash is kind of untraceable in that way. So Mm -hmm. this Kind of seems like a big mishap on her part. I mean, thank God. Uh, But the Mm -hmm. same week that she attacked Dorinda, Dana went out in search of another victim. Police were already following Dana when word began to spread about the murder of another elderly woman in the area, 87-year-old Dora Beattie. Dora was strangled and bludgeoned to death with a household iron in her home Mm. in Sun City. And like the other women, her credit cards and cash had been stolen. Police received a tip that a woman matching the description provided by Dorinda was spotted at a local shopping center, so they began following her on what appeared to be routine errands. But as they got word of the most recent murder, they quickly began to realize that they had been following the murderer on another post-killing shopping Mm. spree. Dana was arrested that day and taken into custody, at which time a team was dispatched to search her home. Inside, 
Detectives found Dora's missing credit cards in Dana's lingerie drawer, a mountain of new clothes with a tag still on them, a brand new pair of Nike sneakers, Mm -hmm. an unopened bottle of opium perfume, a $1,000 mountain bike, and a purple boogie board. So again, this is kind of matching all the descriptions of like she's an adventurer. She, you know, she's a windsurfer. There was those Nike sneakers and the, that that uh, those footprints. Uh, a thousand dollar mountain bike. I mean, these are not cheap things. And according right. to the officer who arrested Dana, she spent the entire drive to the station bragging about all the new items she purchased and how happy they made her feel. What's interesting about this is so I used to before I went before I studied abroad I needed a um I needed a job that was like six weeks kind of during my semester break mm-hmm. before I went away, and I got hired to work at American Apparel. Do you know American? Yeah. Remember American Apparel. Yeah, I do. I didn't and I know worked there. there. And the funny thing about American Apparel, I worked in the mall, was that they never had, and it wasn't like everything was expensive, but like it's good clothes, and they never had any security tags on anything. So like when I started working there, people would often say that people go into the dressing room and steal stuff to like be on the lookout for them. And I also learned of working in retail that a lot of perps who steal stuff, and this is how we caught a lot of people, it's, it's like kind of getting the high of stealing it. That when they leave the store, it's not like they leave the store, they wait till they get home and they look at their purchase. Most perps who are stealing something from stores leave the store and open it immediately and look at what they stole. Oh, And so, like, we were in a mall. So, like, we could see the kids, like, unopening their bag and, like, bragging about it. And that's how we kind of knew. And like on just, the security footage or something? I'm ass- oh, you right, mean, like, like, you could we actually mall, see them. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, security yeah. could see them. And so it's just like... This is exactly right. Like she's bragging about how yeah. happy like you're not really thinking about yeah. the consequences. You're the not really consequences. thinking you're around. Yeah. You're not really like trying to be secretive about it. It's like just the act of doing it is giving you this rush. So but, it's and just by the way, I love that you can offer that expertise on today's right? show. Like I love that right? background information. So thank you. Now I that. always look at people who will like look a little sussy. I would be I will totally like, be doing that too. Are you a sussy uh Radish, or are you just like a yeah, sexy exactly. person? Yeah. Well, Dana <laughs> was charged with uh, two counts of first degree murder on March 16th, 1994. So almost, you know, 30 years ago to the right. day. Finally bringing an end to both her killing and shopping sprees. Now, during interrogation, <sighs> Dana attempted to claim she was driven insane by her desire to shop. Now, truthfully, if this is an addiction, if this is a compulsion, this might make sense. You know, you're going to yeah, do anything yeah. to get those drugs. You know, you're going to murder to get your next high, to do this, to do that. Mm-hmm. You're going to steal if that's the only thing that you know. But she said she would become so overtaken by her addiction that she would essentially lose control. She maintained this story for four years until the evening before her trial uh, in September of 1998. If she pleaded not guilty, Dana would likely face the death penalty. So instead, she agreed to plead guilty to two counts of murder and one count of attempted murder in exchange for a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Charges for Norma Davis's murder were subsequently dropped in this plea agreement. Mm. Um, and today, Dana is living out her life sentence at the California Women's Prison in Chowchilla, where she will live out the rest of her natural-born life without any possibility of parole. But it's interesting here, what could have been stopped, given the right mental health things? Maybe nothing. Yeah, right. Maybe this is not something that we can fix. Maybe this is... But I'd like to think that there is something. If someone had caught this early, if there was something, you know, maybe if her father wasn't away, if there was more attention being spent, not to blame other people, because, you no, know, because right. at the end of the day, it's like you can't help who you are, but you are responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And you can't yeah. keep blaming people for the rest of your life. And so 
I, I, I do give her, you know, the, the responsibility for it, but I just kind of wonder how much of this could have been prevented. But yeah. And on top, yeah. And on top of that, like the shopping spree addiction is one thing, but then like the killing is another, right? Like you can, okay. Like not, not to take away from, you know, the seriousness of any of the crimes involved, but like, you know, people might steal credit cards and go shopping. We we hear about that fraud and scamming that happens Definitely. every minute of the day. So the added problem here was that she was murdering people for that. And like, sorry, there's no yeah. excuse for that. And even if there is some kind of mental illness related, quote unquote, excuse, sorry, like you can't just go around society murdering people in the name of shopping spree addiction. That's just not how it goes. Yeah, that's... Crazy. But anyway, well, yeah. Uh, let us know what you guys thought about today's episode at jthrasher at Carpe Darren. You can hit us up in our Shaken and Disturbed Facebook group or DM us directly on Patreon and we will get right back to you, yes. which we have a couple of those, a uh, couple of thoughts from listeners um, from Patreon today, don't we, Darren? This is my, this is my favorite one. <laughs> Roxanne on Patreon said, love, love, love being able to see you both on video. And Darby, keep rocking the bucket hat. And here's the thing. Is yeah, I knew it. that Roxanne knew my name wasn't Darby, but the thing is, it auto corrects to Darby or Daryl. I know all the time, and I people used... feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Roxanne feels bad about it. Maybe like, not. Maybe not. But maybe not. I mean, nor should she. Nor yeah. should she. Yeah. But uh, I've gotten a lot of people being like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry to call you Darby or Daryl." That it's like mm-hmm. sort of has stuck uh, with some of I... my friends who call me Darby. That's true. And I, in fact, I've probably called you that at some point. I will say there was a time where I remember being like, what? Why do people call you Darby and Daryl? And then like my phone autocorrected to one of those one day. And I was like, oh, this is why this is happening to yep. her so often. That's good to know. Um, yep. But Roxanne, listen, Roxanne is a Patreon subscriber. She can call you whatever you want. That's the point of Patreon. So absolutely, please yeah. call me Darby. Call John Darby. Yeah. Don't don't call Magic Darby. Magic deserves. No, Magic is his Magic. own. Yeah, he's in his own world. Um, yeah. and level above everybody. Um, we also, Darren, have to give maybe the biggest shout out of them all to our dear friend Denise, who Love has Denise. who has been a longtime listener and supporter of us. She was on uh, an episode with us. She co-hosted along a, a while back. Denise turned right. the big 5-0 last week, Darren. And as she stated, she cannot believe that we, you and I, Darren, have a 50-year-old child. So I can't believe it either, Denise. <laughs> so as her parents, wow. this is shocking, to be honest with you. But um, like I said, Denise has been one of our most loyal listeners and Patreon subscribers all the way back to Martinis and Murder, if you remember that old yes. show, old Dusty show. Um, so Denise, That old thing. <laughs> So, Denise, we really hope you had an amazing birthday. And here's to 50,000 more birthdays. Amen. Cheers to you. Cheers uh, to you. Thank you for always the support. We support you in everything that you do. And you look baboosh. And, and uh, we hope that you're celebrating somewhere fun. I was going to say, make sure you have some Baileys. Because if you remember, Darren, Denise brought us Baileys and alcohol to one of our live shows. So thank you, Denise, for that. Don't I remember? <laughs> um, and you know what, guys? You can get some birthday shout-outs, too. That's right. Uh, if you sign up for our Patreon, join us for as little as $5 a month and help support the show and keep it running. You can get it even cheaper if you sign up annually. You can be a friend, a best friend, a radish, or a sussy radish. Sussy wow. radish. 
Yes, that's right. Your patronage helps us keep our show up and running across the board. So thank you no matter how much you contribute. All links for Patreon and our merch can be found in our show notes, or you can sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word. That's right. And uh, we have to thank the sussiest of all the radishes, of course, our our fearless researcher, Megan, to this. So, uh, And I like that people are shouting this out like when they're on a walk and they think that no one's watching. So I'm hoping that people are actually shouting this out like us. But uh, John, yep. let's kick it off. One, two, three. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. One, two, two three. three. Just for you. Thanks, Megan, as always. And thank you so much to you guys. We'll be back next week with another case. Perhaps we're going to Perhaps we're going to talk about the Murdoch murders because I am just like totally fucking gripped by all of it. You need to watch the doc, John. Get on I it. Will. But uh, I'm I'm just floored by everything that's kind of going on. The very last thing I'm going to say, and if you know, you know, check your air fresheners. If you know, you know. If you listen if you know, to our you show, know. you should know. That's all we're going to say about that. Check, check your, your freshies. <laughs> check your freshies, baby. And we'll see, see you, you next week for another time. NMR and a full case. Bye. Bye.